Please take your Bibles with me this morning and turn to two passages. The first would be uh, 2 Kings chapter 16. That's the last passage you thought you would turn to on Christmas Eve, is it not? 2 Kings chapter 16 and also Isaiah chapter 7. If you're a guest with us this morning, we're so glad to have you. And if you uh, need a Bible, feel free to grab one of the Pew Bibles. If you don't own a Bible, feel free to take it home with you. That's our gift to you. And uh, if you need some help with some of these Old Testament books, uh, the Second Kings 16 passage, you'll find on page 322. And Isaiah chapter 7, you'll find on page 572. Page 572. He was the son of Jotham the 12th king of Judah. The meaning of this man's name was Yahweh has grasped. He began to reign in Judah, and he did so for 16 long years. Most scholars believe and historians believe that he was most likely co-regent with his father uh, for four years before his solo reign began. Probably the most important thing I can tell you about this particular ruler that we will consider here for a few minutes is that he was, in fact, a very evil ruler. He was a very evil man. The name of this man is Ahaz. And I want to have you read with me in 2 Kings chapter 16, verses 1 to 4, just to give us a, a thumbnail sketch to see what kind of a man he was second king 16 in the 17th year of Pekah, the son of Ramalia, Ahaz, the son of Jotham, the king of Judah began to reign. Ahaz was 20 years old when he began to reign and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem and he did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord, his God, as his father David had done. But he walked in the way of the kings of Israel. He even burned his son as an offering according to the despicable practices of the nations whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel. And he sacrificed and made offerings on the high places and on the hills and under every green tree. It is in this context in this season of political turmoil that the prophet Isaiah approaches Ahaz and he encourages this man to trust, to depend on, to rely upon, to believe in the living God. We're going to look at the encouragement that Isaiah offered Ahaz, but before we do so, would you give me the liberty to, to probe a little bit deeper into your personal history and your personal background? I'm fairly confident in all that have assembled today on Christmas Eve that none of you are seated on a throne like King Ahaz was. I'm fairly confident that most of you, in fact, probably all of you are in this situation where you don't have the, the pressure of leading a country like Ahaz had. 
And even though you're not a a king or responsible for ruling a nation or faced with the threat of enemy invasion as Ahaz was, I suspect that each one here this morning, from the smallest boy and girl to the oldest man and woman, that you have real needs. That you've come today to, to worship God, that you've come here to Christ Fellowship, that you have real, genuine needs. Some of you have physical needs. Some of you have been sick for some time. Some of you have pain in your bodies and you wrestle with those things. Some of you have deep emotional needs. You have scars from the past. You have seasons of loneliness. And most people are well aware that Christmas time is is a time if you battle loneliness is a time that can be very, very difficult. Many of you have relational needs. You have issues that surface in your marriage with a a friend at school, with a friend at work. We all are relational creatures and therefore have relational needs. And finally, each of us, there is no question that each of us has spiritual needs. Psychologists tell us that one of the biggest struggles that Americans face is unresolved guilt. And there is a reason for this unresolved guilt. The Bible tells us that sin has separated each person from a holy God. There is a reason, you see, for unresolved guilt. We have violated the holy law of God. We are lawbreakers, and we know it. There is a real reason for unresolved guilt, and it is simply this. We are guilty. And when you come face to face with your guilt, when you realize that you're, you're a sinner, lost without hope and without God in this world, that you're a, you're a stranger to the promises of God apart from grace, you begin to experience deep-seated guilt. In Isaiah chapter 7, Ahaz receives what I would like you to consider to be a gift from Isaiah. Ahaz receives a gift from Isaiah, and it is a gift that, I need to tell you, has the power to meet his every need. Every need that he has, every need that he, he has in his life will be, will be taken care of by the gift that Isaiah is going to give him. As we shall soon discover, the gift that Isaiah offers King Ahaz is a gift that is also offered to each one of us. It is a gift that will, that will reach down and, and take care of all our deep needs that I have just discussed. Well, the title of the message this morning is A Gift for the Ages. A Gift for the Ages. And I, I, I did a, a bit of an experiment this morning. I wasn't planning on doing the experiment, but I, I brought a gift and... Uh, The experiment that I wasn't planning on doing became very interesting to me as I watched the children gather around the gift. Some of the children came, and most of you weren't even here yet, but some of the the children came, and if you're one of the children, you know who I'm talking about. They came and they just stared. They just looked at the gift. I, I was imagining one of the young men. I, I know, I know he wasn't doing it, but I was. Just, he was, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Wouldn't you say, CJ? Do you like gifts? I know you. You love gifts. In fact, when when Chris asked how many of you opened a gift earlier, and before Christmas, I mean, CJ was the first one. 
his hand went up. We love gifts. One of the other young men, he didn't come and look at the gift. This young boy, a friend of mine, came up into my study, and he poked his head in the study, and he said, Hi, Pastor Dave. And I said, Hey, how are you? And I named him my name, and, and he, it, was the, it, was the, it was just great. He, he wandered around my study like this. He was looking, and he, he looked up at my bookshelves, and he said, I see you brought a gift today. <laughs> and I said, it's driving you crazy, isn't it? And he said, yeah, it is. He said, I want to take it home. <laughs> the gift that we're going to learn about this morning is a gift that many of you have already unwrapped. Most of you will be very familiar with the contents of this gift. And you'll, you'll know what I mean as we proceed through the message. If you're one who has, has, has already opened this gift, if you're aware of, of what is in this package, my encouragement for you today is to pretend as if it's the first time you have ever opened the gift. Because sometimes when we think about the gospel, we, we can become complacent. It's very easy to, to become lethargic when we think about the promises of God and we think about the, 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 the amazing promises held out for us in the gospel. Some of you understand what it's like when you're anticipating reading the Christmas story later this evening or tomorrow morning, whatever your tradition is, if it's CJ like last week, right? Where you'll sit down and you're going to read the Christmas story. And, and I don't think it would be a stretch to say that some of you are thinking, I'm going to read the Christmas story again and again and again. And then we get to open gifts. But I want to encourage you to not approach the message that way this morning. If you have already opened the gift, open the gift once again and imagine like it's the first time you've ever done it. Marvel at the infinite worth and value of the gift as we celebrate the deep meaning it has for you on this Christmas Eve. Not everyone this morning has opened the gift, however. If you have never opened this gift, I, I would invite you to listen carefully as I take the next few minutes to, to unwrap this gift and offer it to you, much like Isaiah was unwrapping the gift and he, as he offered it to King Ahaz. What you'll discover is this, that the gift that we're going to discover this morning is the greatest gift you could ever receive. It's greater than any gadget. It's greater than any computer. It's greater than any vacation. It's greater than any car. It's greater than any human relationship. Indeed, you'll discover it's the greatest gift, for this is a gift for the ages. I hope you're still in Isaiah chapter 7. I want to have you stand to your feet as we read together out of respect for the authority of God's Word. Isaiah chapter 7, beginning in verse 10. And this is the word of God. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz. Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be deep as Sheol or as high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. And he said, hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Let's pray together. Father, as we take the next few minutes and unpack this gift that was uh, given 
from your sovereign hand, from the prophet Isaiah to King Ahaz. I pray that we would be able to, to recognize that this is a gift that you offer each of us. Help us as we unwrap it to see the, the beauty of this gift. Help us to see how it applies to each one of our lives. We ask that you do mighty things here as we celebrate together on Christmas Eve at Christ Fellowship. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So one, one more time, CJ, to call you out just one more time. I, I, I promise it's the last time I'll do it, in this message at least. I'm a lot like you, okay? Uh, I like gifts, although I didn't open any of mine early. But I, I am like CJ, and I'm like many of you. I like gifts, and I remember as a small child, I remember, I remember really enjoying gifts that when you open the gift... There was another gift inside. Have you ever done a gift like that? You open the gift and you say, wow, there's another gift inside. And you get to open it up. You tear it apart. And what happens? There may even be another gift inside of that. I got to thinking as I was, I was writing this illustration how I'm confessing to you that I love gifts and I love gifts that are, have other gifts inside. That wasn't just a childish thing. That was a, that was a now thing. And so I, I, I just want to open this up. I, I'm, I'll enjoy doing it. Open up this gift and we'll, we'll see what we can find is inside. And what do you know? It's another gift. But here's, here's the first gift. And it's a gift that I, I want to have you look with me on Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14. And we're going to see three specific gifts within the gift that Isaiah offers to Ahaz, and it is this. It is a sign. The sign. Isaiah says to Ahaz, the first aspect of this gift, I want you to see it, it, is, an, it is a sign. And the word sign here in the Hebrew simply means miracle. And so imagine Ahaz, as he's listening to Isaiah unpack this gift, is he receives a sign, what he will most likely understand to be a miracle. And given the fact that the word refers to a miracle, it probably won't surprise you to learn that the Hebrew word for sign appears often in the context, in the Old Testament, in the context of wonders or miracles that take place throughout redemptive history. We see signs and wonders in Egypt as God performs miracles in the midst of his enslaved people. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, God's power was clearly on display as he performed miracles or signs. In Deuteronomy chapter 26, God rescues Israel and he brings them out of Egypt with what? Signs and wonders. But I want to ask another question. I want to ask, where did the sign come from? Where exactly did the sign come from? And I, I don't want you to miss it here in the context of our passage in verse 14. And Isaiah makes it very clear. It says, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Where did the sign come from? This first aspect of the gift, where did it come from? It came from the sovereign hand of God. Now, let me follow up with this question. Whenever you learn that a sign comes from the sovereign hand of God, what should you do? I'll give you a hint. It's not fall asleep. It's not go out and play baseball. It's not 
go grab a pizza. When you hear that a sign is to be given you, you are to stand up, you are to take notice, you are to to be alert, you are to be aware. That's what signs do to people, don't they? Signs are supposed to wake people up. Signs are, are given to prompt action. Let me illustrate. When you see a stop sign, when you're driving down the road and you see a stop sign, help me out, what do you do? You stop. When you see a warning sign, you are cautious. You are careful. When you see a a sign, this could be fun. When you see a sign that displays the speed limit, what do you do? Why are you laughing? (laughs) Because I know exactly what you do. (laughs) When it says 45... It's, it's the strangest thing. You get down the road past the sign, you look at your speedometer, and you're going 55. And so that's one that sometimes we don't listen to. But suffice it to say, the purpose of a sign is to wake us up. The purpose of a sign is to, to make us be alert. And the purpose of the sign in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, is one that offers hope. It is a sign that offers hope to the nations. Well, how will we know what the sign is? And of course, I am not Ahaz, and I don't know what was going through Ahaz's mind, but I am fairly confident that he was wondering in the back of his mind, how will I know what the sign is? And so what does Isaiah do? Isaiah did what every little kid loves to do on Christmas Eve. He loves to open the package. One of those good packages, right? And what do we find in here? Look again at verse 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. And if I'm correct in wondering what was going through Ahaz's mind, how will I determine, how will I know what the sign is? Notice what Isaiah says. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. The virgin will conceive and bear a son. Who is this son? Who is this son? Well, the Bible makes it very clear that this son is a virgin born son. He's a virgin born son. Look with me. If you would hold your finger in Isaiah seven and turn with me to Luke chapter one. In Luke chapter one, we learn about this exchange between the angel Gabriel and Mary. Read it with me in Luke 1, beginning in verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to the city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. And you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever in his kingdom. There will be no end. We learn later in Luke chapter 2, verse 1, 
that the Virgin Mary gives birth to this son. The, the virgin birth now, I must remind you here on Christmas Eve, the virgin birth is an absolutely crucial doctrine. You need to understand if the virgin birth goes away, all of our hope goes away. If the virgin birth is not true, we are to be the most pitied people on the planet. For without the virgin birth, the Lord Jesus cannot be the one who pays the final price for his people on Calvary's cross. You see, the virgin birth reminds us that salvation, in a final sense, must come from the Lord. Salvation must come from God. Wayne Grudem says this. He says, the virgin birth of Christ is an unmistakable reminder that salvation can never come through human effort, but must be the work of God himself, close quote. And so the virgin birth without getting into great detail this morning, made it possible to unite deity and humanity in one person. We learn that Jesus Christ is is fully human and he is fully God. And this is the means that God used to send his son into the world for many years. One of my favorite passages in the book of Galatians occurs in chapter 4, verse 4. Let me read it to you briefly. It says, When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. This gift that Isaiah is unwrapping for Ahaz is now literally taking place as the virgin birth gives as the virgin mary gives birth to the lord jesus christ i want you to see one other aspect of this important part of the gift that we have entitled the son i want you to see that it is not only a virgin born son but it is also a promised son in isaiah chapter 9 just a page over from isaiah 7 we read this about this son For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This is exactly what I mean when I say if you've already opened up the gift, be careful that you don't get lazy. Be careful that you don't begin to to check out or, or fall asleep. See this like you're seeing it for the very first time. Imagine being in the shoes of Ahaz. There is a sign. This is a sign that will come from a sovereign God. There will be a son. He will be born of the Virgin Mary. There are promises throughout the pages of the Old Testament. And now his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Jeremiah 23, 6. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. This is exceedingly good news for Israel. And this is exceedingly good news for every Gentile as well. Now, we've seen that the gift of the ages involves a sign, 
a sign from the sovereign hand of God. We've seen that this gift involves a son. But I want you to notice, if you go back with me to Isaiah 7, that there's a third aspect to this gift. And as Isaiah opened up this package and he presented this gift to Ahaz, he presented the third part of the gift, and that is that there will be a Savior a Savior who will come, a Savior who will, who will live the perfect life that none of us could ever live. He will die a, a, a painful death on the cross, and he will be raised again so that we could have new life and have forgiveness of sins. What's in a name? What's in a name? One of the things that I do on a fairly regular basis with my son, my son, is I take him to school and I drop him off. And he already knows what I'm going to say right now as he's running PowerPoint because he hears it all the time. I say, hey, have a good day. I say, by the way, as his foot's out the door, I said, what's your last name? He says, Steel. I said, what's that mean? It means I'm a leader. You see, what I'm trying to communicate is last names have importance. Last names have value. Your last name is Steel. Be a leader. Act like a leader. Be a man of integrity. Be a man who cares for people. Work hard, study hard, hit the golf ball a long way, and do it all for the glory of God. Be a leader for his purposes. Now I want to ask as Isaiah presents this third aspect of the gift to King Ahaz. He says a Savior will come. We need to ask, what's in a name? Look at verse 14. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and his name, you shall call his name Emmanuel. Emmanuel. And of course, you've likely determined by this point that this points forward over 700 years from when this exchange takes place to Jesus, the Savior. This is fulfilled in their calling him Jesus, a Savior. For if it had not been Emmanuel, which means God with us, he could not possibly have been a Savior for you and me. Matthew chapter 1 says, She will bear a son, that is the Virgin Mary, and you shall call his name Jesus, Yeshua, for he will save his people from their sins. And notice, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin will conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. The name of the baby was Emmanuel, God with us. And I want you to think together with me at the implications of his arrival. Think about the implications of, of the baby in the manger. Why? Because as we've already learned from Galatians 4, verse 4, he comes to redeem us. Tim Keller made a few comments several days ago indicating that the most, important Jesus came, the, the, the most important Jesus came to do, the thing he came to do, was to save us from our sins. And the internet just lighted up. I can't believe he'd say that. 
Can we agree together with Tim Keller that Jesus came to liberate us from our sins? He comes so that we might be called adopted sons and daughters. He comes to rescue us from the slavery of sin. He comes so that we might receive, as we've been learning in the book of Ephesians, so that we might receive an inheritance, an inheritance that can never perish, an an inheritance that can never spoil or fade, one that is kept in heaven for all of God's elect. Jesus comes so that we might receive eternal life. God with us. He comes to reconcile us to a holy God. He comes to cool down the white hot wrath of God. He comes to destroy the works of the devil. He comes to to wipe away our every sin. He wipes away everything we've done in the past. He wipes away everything that, that we do today. And he takes care of all of our sins that we will commit in the future. In short, Jesus Christ comes to wipe away your unresolved guilt. He comes to wipe away my unresolved guilt. Think of it. God with us. Now, how did Ahaz, you might wonder, respond to Isaiah's encouragement to cast all of his hope and his future and his dreams and his longings on God? How does King Ahaz respond to to this amazing gift that Isaiah sets before him? Well, we learn as we read further on in Isaiah and also in 2 Kings that instead of turning To God, King Ahaz turns away from God. And what does he do? He seeks out the king of Assyria. So imagine this. The prophet Isaiah offers him this gift. He says, there will be a sign. There will be a son. And there will be a savior. And instead of wrapping his arms around the most amazing gift that has ever been given in all of human history, what does he do? He turns his attention to a man. He turns his affections and all of his, his, his longings to a person to try to help him in his political turmoil. And the appeal that brought the wrath of the prophet Isaiah upon this king... Ultimately, his disobedience led to divine judgment. I want to have you turn with me to the book of Second Chronicles. Second Chronicles chapter 28, because I think you'll be fascinated to see exactly what happens to this wicked king who is given this amazing offer of a gift. Notice where his disobedience leads him. Second Chronicles chapter 28, verse 5. Therefore, the Lord, his God, gave him, that is Ahaz, into the hand of the king of Syria, who defeated him and took captive a great number of his people and brought them to Damascus. He was also given into the hand of the king of Israel, who struck him with great force. Instead of turning to a sovereign, loving compassionate, good God, what does Ahaz do? He seeks the help of another man. In short, Ahaz rejected the sign. 
Ahaz rejected the son and Ahaz rejected the savior and his legacy. His legacy was one of rebellion, disobedience and apostasy. I don't know if any of you had the opportunity to watch the memorial service for Dr. R.C. Sproul just a few days ago. It's still posted online. I would encourage you to watch it and to learn from Dr. Sproul's example. But one thing that became very apparent is the legacy of R.C. Sproul is this. He loved God. He loved the church and he loved the people of God. Now, in contrast to someone like Dr. Sproul, we look at the example of Ahaz, who rejected the sign and rejected the son and rejected the Savior. His legacy was one of disobedience. His legacy was one of rebellion. His legacy was one of apostasy, where he cast away the promises of God. Turn to one final passage with me in Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, and I trust this will be the section of Scripture that many of you will read later this evening or tomorrow morning as families together. Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, And all went down to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because there was the house and the lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, And wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the end. Today, God offers a gift for the ages. We have familiarized ourselves this morning with the sign. We've learned about the identity of the son and we've learned the glorious reality of the savior and the gift for the ages is just that, is it, is it not? It's a sign. It's a son. And it's a savior. And I want you to remember as we consider that truth point that we ought to remember who that baby was and is. Listen to the words of Jonathan Edwards. He says, There do meet in Jesus Christ infinite highness and infinite condensation. Christ, as he is God, is infinitely great and high above all. He is higher than all the kings of the earth. He is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Christ is the the creator and the great possessor of heaven and earth. He is the sovereign Lord of all. He rules over the whole universe and he does whatever pleases him. His knowledge is without bound. His wisdom is perfect and what none can circumvent. His power is infinite and none can resist him. His majesty is infinitely awesome. Who is it that Jonathan Edwards is referring to? It's the babe in the manger. The one who is fully God and fully human. 
See, God in eternity past set forth this plan where he would send the Lord Jesus Christ, where the second member of the Trinity would come and live for 33 years on this sin-infested planet. And as I said earlier, he would live the life that none of us can ever live, a life of holiness, a life of righteousness, a life of perfection. And then he went obediently, step by step, to be scourged, to be beaten, to be whipped. And then his body was placed upon the cross. And he hung upon that cross And then he died on that cross and they took him off the cross and they put him in a hole in the ground. And three days later, he was gone because God raised him from the dead so that you and I would no longer have guilt, that our unresolved guilt would be taken care of, that it would be atoned for, that all of our sins, past, present and future would be dealt with all because of the life, the death, the burial the resurrection and the ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's my question as we close this morning. How will you respond to this gift for the ages? Will you, will you turn your back on it? Will you do like King Ahaz did? He said, I'm not interested in the gift. I turn my attention to the king of Assyria. Will you refuse this gift and find your satisfaction in temporary things? Or will you open your heart, your affections, and receive this gift for the ages? Will you delight in this gift for the ages? Listen once again to Isaiah seven fourteen. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin will conceive and bear a son. And shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. This is a gift for the ages. It's a sign. It's a son. It's a savior. Will you open your heart this Christmas season? Will you walk with God? Will you receive the forgiveness of sins? Will you know and, 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 and have the, the benefit of assurance of eternal life? Perhaps today would be the day where you draw the line in the sand and say, God, I don't want to be like King Ahaz. I don't want to be like some of these these wicked men in the Old Testament. I want to be the kind of man or woman who willingly receives the gift. I receive the sign. I receive the son. I receive the savior. I recognize Jesus as Emmanuel, God with us. Let's pray. Father, thanks for the the vivid reminder, the contrast between uh, the obedience of Isaiah and offering this gift to to King Ahaz and also seeing the the stubbornness, the the rebellion, the the disobedience, the apostasy of this evil king. Father, I, I pray that today that we would delight in the gift. I pray that today we would... Uh, marvel afresh at the gift, that it would not just be another humdrum Christmas, that we would marvel greatly, we would delight in the gift that is ours in the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for the hope that we enjoy. Thank you for the the peace that we receive, all because of this precious gift that you have, have granted in your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And now today, may we continue uh, to worship throughout the day. May you bring us back this evening to to worship together at the Christmas Eve service. So as, as the body of Christ, we can remember afresh the gift of the Lord Jesus Christ and his coming. For it's in his name we pray. Amen.